Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker and I serve as the lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. Well, this is a continuation of our series to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 2, and an exposition from verses 21 through 25. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. Through 25. I could have fit all of this in one sermon. Uh, however, I felt the justice needed to uh, expand and do two sermons on this passage. And so we'll deal with 24 and 25 uh, next week and conclude chapter two. Um, but this morning, I want to go ahead and get us going and just kind of highlight where we've been. We've been talking about this idea of honor and submission and what it looks like to honor and submit to those that are over us. We do so for the Lord's sake. We do it for the Lord's will. We do it because we're ultimately been freed in Christ. Uh, there are imperatives that govern us, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, uh, because we're free and the imperatives that govern us, and namely to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, that is the church, uh, to fear or worship the Lord and to honor the emperor. Uh, even as we talked last week, even if that means there is suffering and maybe even unjust suffering uh, that we encounter as well. And we mentioned last week that in those instances where we are uh, feeling the pressure of suffering and maybe even unjust suffering that we need to remember to see the moment that we're in but see a bigger story at play to not only see what's happening with us but to bear in mind God's posture and God's uh, will in in our suffering and also uh, we need to see that the Lord is at work in our situation that it is not just happenstance this is a calling and vocation that we have been called to and we'll expand on that today. And then ultimately, not only what we see in our present reality, not only in light of God's redemptive story, but in the coming consummation of what we have to look forward to, that we one day will see that all of our light momentary affliction has been working for an eternal weight of glory. And we borrowed last week looking at the idea of credit uh, being credited to us. And so uh, we will continue in chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And um, let's read this together, and then we'll pray, and then we'll bring some implication and application to this text. It says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, that as we examine this text, God, that we would focus on what is most clear, and that is Jesus Christ. That he would go before us and make a way. God, that we would realize our dependency on him, the suffering that he's endured for us, the gospel, the good news that he's accomplished on our behalf. Father, and by your spirit, you would help us to receive your word, God, hear it, Receive it and apply it to our lives. Would you speak, Lord, 
Your servants are listening. Amen. I want to bring to our attention a couple things this morning. Point number one is I want you to see Christ the exemplar. Christ the exemplar or Christ the example. Peter's main thrust in this is that we are sharing in suffering, that our suffering is a shared suffering. And Peter has been building this idea that our suffering is not meaningless, that there's credit, as we mentioned last week. God is working for his ultimate glory. God intends for us to suffer in such a way that we would bear in mind God's purposes in our suffering. And yes, Christian, this is also a calling. It is a vocation. It's very clear in 1 Peter 2, verses 21. For this you have been called. The Christian life that you've been called to is not merely one of ease, but a, a hard path and a difficult path. This is not what is typically preached in Western society. This is not what is typically preached. Instead, we preach a gospel that says, if you come to Jesus, then maybe all of your problems will go away. If you accept Christ, then maybe you can eliminate some of your hardships that you're going through. Many televangelists and many preachers that you would see on TV, such as Joel Osteen, Jesse Duplantis, Todd White, Benny Hinn, Joseph Prince, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, several TV preachers preach a false gospel and a false prosperity gospel. And it's interesting that it always seems to have something to do with sending them money. But a gospel that says if you come to Christ, then all of your troubles will go away. Yet the Bible seems to be presenting something much different. Namely, that coming to Christ and certainly following Jesus will in fact and is a calling, Christian, for you to endure suffering. Rest assured, this will not fill churches. This will not fill churches, and most don't wait in line for this type of proclamation. But Christian, there are many that are suffering right now for the sake of Christ around the world. And we have, because of the comfort that we have and because of the blessing that we have in this country, sometimes we can ignore the suffering that goes on all around the world in the name for those following the name of Christ. Just in recent headlines, numbers of Christians were in prison reportedly to be on the rise from 640 in recent months in Eritrea, in May, 15 women were arrested at a house church and now in prison in Mausera. The same prison where one Christian was held in a shipping container, 30 people arrested at a wedding in late June, being held at a police station in Asmara. Christians have been held there numerous times in the past for years on end. Other Christians as well are being imprisoned in an island prison of Delac Kirbeck. It's a huge jail constructed of sheet metal buildings and shipping containers. And while these prisoners, Christians, have been released from their jail cell, they're now being forced to work as slave laborers on the island, all for following the name of Christ. 
And on June 11th, authorities in the Chinese Funhua province destroyed more than a dozen Christian homes that had been used for worship spaces of members of the Shangwan Church. At 9 a.m., more than 100 officials from various governmental departments arrived in Christian's home, dragged furniture and from them from the homes in the hallways and proceeded to destroy the furniture. The church was shut down on May the 3rd in a raid. Police entered the residence by force, meeting, beating church members. During that raid, neighbors took videos of the police officers shouting and beating Christians. I bring that up for a few different reasons. Number one, to hopefully give you a perspective. That is one of literally, I could have used hundreds of different headlines of Christians that are suffering for following Christ. And we've been so blessed and we've experienced so much freedom and even friendship, I would say, with, and religious liberties in this country. But that is not always the case. And it will not always necessarily be the case, even here. But also to remind you that even now, there are brothers and sisters that are facing very real and very intense religious persecution. And they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they need our prayers. And we share in that suffering with them. We pray for them. And they are partaking and following Jesus in suffering. And I know that in this day and age, that we're wondering in the back of our minds is, the back of our minds is, is that coming here as well? And the reality is, is, Likely, probably, yes, without question at some point. And I think, it's, I think it's important for us to discuss some of these things and understand this is not making a political statement of, of any sort or any juncture at all. I would be the first to admit to you that I am no expert in infectious disease and certainly in what's going on in our world, but the inconsistency of the whole narrative has been quite puzzling, has been very puzzling that churches have been urged to close while bars and abortion clinics can remain open. Schools said that they can go back in session and close down with the Kentucky Derby. Can meet. There's a lot of inconsistency in the narrative. Schools can close, but the splash pad remains open. There's inconsistencies all across the board. You have situations going on in Nevada, also in California as well. Current lawsuits being discussed, go making their way to the Supreme Court about the right of religious liberty to continue to gather. And if churches do go back, well, they can't sing, and they probably shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. That is overstep. Our scripture is very clear that we have a responsibility to one another to gather and to love one another and to sing songs and spiritual songs and hymns to one another, making melody with our hearts to one another, giving thanks to our Lord. But the Lord's Supper is not just some physical thing. There's a spiritual reality to that that we are remembering the sacrifice of our Savior. 
And understand we want to be wise in that. I guess my, my main thrust is that I don't want us to think that everything that's going on is just scientific. There's a spiritual reality here as well. There's a spiritual component that's going on as well. It's not just scientific. Scripture tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against heavenly principalities, spiritual forces. There's science and then there's spiritual components as well. It's not just science that's influencing things. There's spiritual aspects and truths to these realities as well. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, he says, I wanted to be with you, but Satan hindered me. I wanted to be with you, but Satan hindered me. And don't misunderstand me here. I think there's very real concern and very real things that are going on. But there's also a spiritual component of things that are going on in our world as well. Statistics out right now, it says one in four churchgoers have disengaged from the church totally. One in four. You don't think that's spiritual? One in four. I doubt one in four have totally disengaged from all other social gatherings. One in four disengaged from the church. And we could say my waning or my lack of excitement is due because of the reality of science. Yet there's a spiritual component as well. I wanted to be with you, but Satan hindered me from doing so. Christian, what's the, what's the spiritual thermometer within your heart right now? To say, I'll engage in so many other things in this world and won't bat an eye. Yet, mysteriously, this virus spreads like no other in a church house or a house of worship. We need to be wise in this. Don't misunderstand me. I do not think that this is a time or an opportunity for Christians to start batting their chest and trying to make a point. I don't think this, that's the appropriate response as well. That's not. We should be wise in these matters. But we should also watch our hearts as well. We can be wise while watching our hearts to say, are we tempted to be drawn away or to shy away or to stop engaging what the Lord has called us to? We can be wise in submitting, but also watch our hearts and our engagement as well. I bring that up because there's a very real, at least soft form of religious threat, religious persecution, religious stripping away of freedoms that you have. And it's exposed this potential reality and this pressure that we have not really felt before. And so your response has likely been like my response is, I don't like it. But the scripture says, don't, don't be surprised about this. You should not be surprised about any of this. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, he says, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at, at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra 
which persecutions I endure, yet it was the Lord that rescued me out of them all. Yet indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He continues to say that how will you live? You live, you've been acquainted with the scripture, so walk in those things. All scripture is God-breathed and out of it, and, and it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Peter says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you to test you as something strange will happen to you. But insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And this isn't just state issues. There are softer forms of this as well, from mockery that you have from your coworkers or friends to shame or the indifference or, or the inferiority that people are looked at and you looked at in disdain or the sheer hatred, all soft forms of religious persecution of you following Christ. And Peter understands that Christ did not receive his crown of glory without first wearing a crown of suffering and a crown of sorrow. In the Gospels, you have the sons of Zebedee who were thrilled at the thought of sitting next to Jesus in the right hand of his kingdom and foolishly thought that they could drink the cup and endure the cup that was he was to endure. Peter has previously mentioned that we have been called into his marvelous light. We are God's elect chosen in Christ and we are heirs of blessing. And yet Peter also says that you're also called to join Christ in this road of suffering as well. For what credit is you, verse 20, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if you endure in, in suffering and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you may follow in his steps. Leaving you an example. This is like tracing. I don't know if you remember this when you were in kindergarten or not. You had that big old pencil and you had these little trace marks where you had to learn your ABCs and you would trace out the A and you would trace out the B. That's the notion, the idea that he has there. Or maybe you're like me, still a kid at heart and when you go to the beach and someone's walking in front of you and you see these little footsteps and you start walking in those footsteps to follow them. That's the, that's the picture that Peter has here to says you are following the example of Christ. This isn't just rote memory like the ABCs or the alphabet. This is an active pursuit of where's the next step and where's the next step and there it is and keeping your foot in pace with where the Lord has called you to follow him even in Christian suffering. And in difficult passages such as we have walked through, and yes, they are difficult, and they have not been entirely fun to preach on either, in case you were wondering, of submission and doing good, honoring those, not reviling, enduring suffering, even in injustice. These are hard applications and hard texts to follow. And there's something within our heart that wants to say, well, what about, or even if, or what about the society that we live in? All true. Vote. Speak up. But also, keep the scriptures in mind 
as well. Don't put aside the text to justify your feeling in that. Bring the scriptures to bear on your feeling as well. Follow the scripture. Follow what he has taught us. These are not easy. Nor do I want to be so naive as to think is that Peter's audience wouldn't have said the same thing. Well, well wait a minute. What, what, what? And Peter, I think, getting in front of that, says, let me show you a model. Let me, let me show you what I mean when I talk about these things. Namely, Jesus Christ. He is the exemplar. First, in his goodness, Peter says, do good, Christian. This has been Peter's plea multiple times. He's leading up. Over and over again, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, that they may see your good deeds, verse 12, and glorify God on the day of visitation. For this is the will of God, verse 15 and 16, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living a service of God. Honor people, do what's good, continue to do what's good, Christian, even if suffering comes and you're tempted to bite back. Do good. But do you know who suffered for only doing good? Jesus Christ. He committed no sin, Peter says. The sinlessness of Christ made known throughout all the scripture in Matthew and Luke and John and the book of Acts and the book of Romans and Hebrews and 1 John 3. It says this, I think it'll come up on the screen. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin and in him there is no sin. And Peter, straight to the point, he says, he, Christ, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He is your example, believer. He is your exemplar to seek to live a life such as Jesus Christ. This is your calling, he will go on to say, just that you would die to sin, that you would put away falsehood and die to sin, not living like the world, but living like Christ. He is your model in goodness. He's also your model, secondly, in purity. To live a life, a such good life among the Gentiles, that they would see your good deeds and give honor to God. Chapter 2, verse 1, So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Peter's echo, don't live in darkness. Live as you were redeemed. Live as you've been called. Live in the likeness of Christ, not in the foolishness of your former ignorance. But there was no deceit found in the mouth of Christ. Christ lived a life before man that was pure and Innocent. He only spoke what was fitting and only spoke what was honoring to others. But with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot, he was pure. He was totally pure. Hebrews 7, 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He's your example, believer. He's your example of what it looks like to follow the Lord in purity. This is your calling, Christian, 
to do good and to live a pure life before others. Also in his suffering, he continues to do good. Peter says, continue to do good even if you are suffering unjustly, verse 18. And if there's any time that we feel the notion to speak up or to set things in order, it's here. Have someone speak evil against you or speak falsely against you or incite suffering against you. You want to make it a point to ball up your fist and fight back. But not Christ. He did not threaten, says Peter. And he did not revile in return. This is the life of Christ in the midst of his suffering. Matthew 26, though there were many false witnesses that came forward. The high priest stood and said, have you no answer to make to them what these men testify against you? Matthew 26, 63, yet Jesus remained silent. Matthew 27, verses 12 through 14. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many of these things that they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even a single charge, that even the governor was greatly amazed. Not only was Christ sinless, but he suffered. His sinlessness was not absent of suffering, and neither will yours. To live like Christ means to embrace suffering while doing good. Fourthly, he absorbed the offense. Honor everyone, Peter says. Live as free people, not in bondage to those who have offended you. That is what you've been called to. I want you to see the example. Christ did not threaten. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Christ did not seek to bring about retaliation against those who wronged him. He endured suffering without trying to extract revenge on those who persecuted him. In the midst of him being falsely accused, in the midst of him being flogged and scurred and punished unto death. Luke 23, 32 through 34, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death alongside with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they there they, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, in the midst of all the suffering that he has endured, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus absorbing the offense of those that have wronged him. Jesus enduring and absorbing the sins of the world and certainly those that were against him as well. And then finally, an example of how we trust the Lord. Peter has already said, be mindful of God. It is for the Lord's sake. Yet it was Jesus who did this perfectly. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Instead, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There was no complaint. There was no bitterness. There was no self-justification from him when he was betrayed and tried and condemned. Instead, he continued to trust God to sustain him and vindicate him at the proper time.
The word that's used here for the word entrusting, it'll come up on the screen. It's, it's the Greek word paradidomai or paradidomi. It literally means to hand over, to deliver over, or to give over. That's the scope of meaning in the New Testament of this word. And in fact, if you look up that word in the New Testament, Jesus was handed over, over, and time and time and time again. In Matthew 26, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and says, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Parodidomi. He was handed over by Judas. In the garden when he's praying before his arrest, then his disciples came and said, he said, came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later. See the hours ahead. The son of man is to be betrayed. Parodidomi into the hands of sinners. He was given over by his friend. He was given over into the hands of sinners. Mark 15, 10, and when he, Pilate, answered him saying, do you not want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him. Parodidomi. He was delivered by the chief priest as well. Jesus was. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and said, have him released for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said again, then what shall I do with the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released to them Barabbas and having scurred Jesus he delivered him, there it is again, parodidomi. He delivered him to be crucified. In the life of Christ, he was given over time and time and time again. Sinners would hand him over. Pilate would hand him over. His own disciples would hand him over. But Jesus says, I will only hand myself over to my heavenly father. Jesus always entrusted himself to his heavenly father. And you may be handed over as well. In that moment, Christ is our example. And we follow him as the exemplar in all that we do and in following him in the way of Christ. You're following him, Christian. You're following him in this example. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will also persecute you. A disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a servant his master. If they've called the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household. This is your calling, Christian, to follow Christ and to follow him to this end. And living in a certain country and living in a certain day does not exclude you from this vocation or calling. It may be slight, it may be brief, 
It might be hands at the hands of the state. It might be at the hands of a neighbor or a coworker. But Christian, you will not avoid it. And God aims in that moment that it be for your joy and his glory. And we will triumph over evil, not through retaliation, but because we trust God to vindicate us and judge their enemies, putting everything right in the end. You not only follow Jesus in this example that we just saw, this is the entire life of a believer. The book of Ephesians would say that you forgive one another because Christ has forgiven you. He would say to be imitators of Christ, to walk in love because Christ has done so. Philippians 2, to walk humbly because Christ has given you an example. Christ is your exemplar. Christ is your example. And Peter aims to tell us that in this text. He's your example. Christ, your exemplar, but don't miss this. Christ, your suffering Savior, point number two. Christ is your suffering Savior. Your calling and his example, his suffering and your suffering. If Jesus only meant to leave you an example and he was not intending to be your Savior, the entire point of this passage would be lost. In fact, the entire point of the Bible would be lost as well. Further, you would remain lost. If Jesus was just your example and not your Savior, you would be lost. That's not how Peter leaves us, and that's not how Christ leaves us. For this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you leaving an example that you may follow in his steps. Jesus wasn't merely a good example for you to follow. He wasn't merely a good teacher. Further, you could never accomplish all that God would require of you. And in striving to put off sin and forsaking sin and to live like Christ, don't be duped into legalism or thinking that you can somehow earn this. Christ did it on your account and he suffered for you. And the heart of the scripture of this passage is that Christ is, yes, our example. But he is also our conquering and suffering king as well. And what Peter does in this passage, you might have picked up on it, but you certainly will next week. I'm going to end by working through Isaiah 53 he is borrowing from Isaiah 53, reminding you of this suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of. Isaiah 53, it'll come up on the screen. I, you probably can't see that because the text is small, unless your eyes are really good, like mine are not anymore. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53. I want you to see this. This is paramount. And we'll spend a lot of time on this next week. Isaiah 53. Note the language that's here. And I'll try to call it out as we get it. This suffering servant that would come and deliver God's people and rescue them. Beginning of verse 3, although it could start from the latter part of Isaiah 52. I'll start in verse 3 of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Yet he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the Lord, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he was poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. Your Savior did not merely leave you with a good model in the midst of suffering. He gave you hope. To know that your suffering is not the end. And you can be reminded, in, reminded of his suffering when you experience your very real suffering in this life. And that he is accomplishing and bringing about his salvation. And when you reflect upon the suffering of Christ, know that it wasn't something just abstract or theoretical. Peter's point is that it was very real. And it was a suffering that he endured. It was a real suffering. It was a point of reality. It wasn't just some good story with a happy ending. It wasn't some fairy tale. Christ suffered in the flesh according to the scripture. And it is a tangible reminder that suffering is very real. And you may know and experience that to be true, but how much more was his suffering drinking the cup, the full weight of your offense before God? He took it upon himself. His suffering was real. He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He was God in the flesh, stepped into your reality of brokenness and suffered. And Peter says he did it for you, Christian. And Christ says it was necessary that this happened. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, made him who knew no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, he did not open his mouth. Him to be sin for us, so that in him you could be counted righteous. Your sinless Savior, the God of the universe, became your sin bearer and your suffering servant. He is not only your example, he's your suffering servant. And at the height of the greatest injustice was the suffering of the one and only Son of God, the suffering servant, and your Savior. And what a beautiful gospel it is when difficulties arrive and the road gets difficult and you're tempted to say, well, I quit. I can't do this anymore. You don't serve a God who is unable to sympathize with you in your weakness. And you don't serve a God that's merely cheering you on. He's not that kind of master. He knows. He says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm working in it to accomplish my purpose and my glory. And he's calling you to persevere. Yes, he is cheering you on and calling you, Christian, persevere. But he's also suffered for you. He suffered for you, Christian. Do you know him? Are you acquainted with him? Joining him in his example. United with him by faith in Christ. Would you respond to this suffering servant? This isn't just some neat, cute story. Your eternity hangs on your response to Christ. Non-believer, would you respond to repentance and faith today? To know that this was not just merely an example that you would follow. A good one indeed but one that you cannot fully aspire to. And you need Christ to suffer for you. And he did. Would you respond in repentance and faith? Believer in Christ, would you rest in his finished work on your behalf? And by faith, as you put off sin and walk in the light of Christ, how is he speaking to you now to follow him? How is he inviting you to follow him in his steps? Yet regardless, the only proper and fitting response this morning will be one that is by faith. For both the believer and the non-believer this morning, the proper response is one that requires our faith. For without it, it is impossible to please God. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond in that end however the Lord is leading you, that you would respond to what it means to look like to follow in his steps, Christian, or what it looks like for you to surrender and to say, I repent, I believe. Would you respond in that way?
Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. If you'd like more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com, or you can search us on Facebook by searching Grace Point Church Henderson. And if you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10:15 a.m. For all of our listeners, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.